Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. We'd like to welcome to the podcast a passionate environmentalist, campaign leader, social media manager, change maker, charity founder, the world, Australia, the universe is a better place. Marlon Frick, all the way from Sweden, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Did I get your name right? Because I speak Australian, not English. Marlon Frick. Yes, that's correct. Well done. Oh, fantastic. One of the first questions I like to ask people is, where did you do your first scuba dive? And can you remember it? I can remember it. I was 19 years old and my first scuba dive was up uh, out of Ellie beach in australia actually so i was here traveling around and that's where i got certified as a scuba diver what's the best ocean experience that you've had my best scuba experience would probably be last year when i was up on the outer great bear reef well that wasn't scuba actually but it was snorkeling and it was snorkeling with the dwarf minke whales and having them swimming around close to you and looking them in their eyes and then following you with their eyes, that was an absolute amazing experience. That does sound amazing. And I bet you the scuba divers that missed that would have been jealous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I've heard, and if you could tell me if this is true or not, that when you were a kid in Sweden, every class had to clean up the beach. Is that correct? Yes. I grew up in southern Sweden in a very small village uh, close to the beach in Sweden. We do have beaches in Sweden. And every week, every school took a turn cleaning the local beach. We all took our push bikes. We rode down, cleaned up the beach, took the rubbish with us, and then we sorted it at the school. So we saw what was littered, what can we do about it, what can we prevent, what can we stop from ending up in the ocean. And, yeah, we all did it. It was just natural for us to do that. Um, was there anything unusual that you found or was it just like common plastics? It was plastic. It was styrofoam. I can't remember anything unusual. Maybe some big plastic containers we thought were, they were a little bit odd maybe, but I haven't got a memory of something that was very unusual. We did find occasionally dead fish and that made us all very upset. I remember that. So picking up litter is not a punishment. It was part of the culture over there. It's what you did. Everyone did it. It was nothing. You, you got a bit upset as a little kid seeing like, you know, why are people littering? Why are they throwing this around? And But you never saw it as why am I picking up someone else's rubbish or litter? Like we just did it as part of us being kids and growing up. Like if no one else picks it up, we pick it up. Okay. That's a fair call. Is this activity when you were growing up is what got you into saving animals? I believe so. I always loved animals ever since I was uh, very little. My favorite TV show was Dr. Doolittle and my dream was to be able to talk to all the animals like he did. It never have it really happened, but I kind of still got the same dream even as an adult. So I saw worms, I saw uh, ladybirds, I saw birds, I saw little fish, everything. I just wanted to save all animals. My parents, they kind of refused for me to have any pets as a kid. I wasn't until 
I was a bit older, I got a dog. So I ended up having a pet worm that I took care of. <laughs> well, the worms are very important to the ecosystem. They are. Yes, indeed. And what's your favourite ocean animal? Uh, sharks in general. Thresher shark is my favourite. I've never seen one. Leopard sharks I love, which I saw my first leopard shark this year. And, I mean, who doesn't love turtles? Are you a member of an organisation to do with sharks? Uh, we have an organisation that are doing um, ocean wildlife rescues. Yes. Have you come across rescuing any sharks lately? There was actually a shark rescue yesterday, but it was up on the central coast, so I wasn't part of it. Because a lot of people don't think of saving sharks, do they? Uh, no, I guess not. But a lot of sharks are innocent. You know, they are innocent in the way that they're often being hooked and fishermen cut the line. If you are a scuba diver, you often see them swimming around with hooks in their mouths which is really sad. And it, of, of course, it affects their eating and everything. Why do people not like sharks? I believe the very famous or infamous movie, Jaws, could still got a lot to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> Media, uh, you often see um, newspapers where they call sharks man-eaters, jaws. Um, one of my, the words that I don't like at all in regards to shark is when they say that they are lurking. But as we know, sharks live in the ocean. They definitely don't lurk. But media, they seem to sensualize the sharks and make it sound like they're very dangerous. Yeah, no, that's that's correct. When I think about the way that people look at sharks and say, don't go into the water and, you know, it's their home and we're privileged to be in their environment. Yes. So we should just, yeah, show them a bit of respect, I reckon. I always say, because I do teach about sharks in school, and I, I do always say when you see the sign up on the beach, shark spotted today, that's really nothing to worry about because sharks are always in the water. And I, I often say to my students that are primary student and say, I would be worried if I saw sharks in Westfields or somewhere, but as long as the sign says Sharks spotted in the water, we are fine. It's all good. That's where they should be. Well, there is sharks in Westfields, but they don't wear fins. <laughs> yeah, probably true. <laughs> and they're worse than the ones yes, in the ocean. The ones in the ocean are very good. They keep our oceans healthy. Do your students get the passion for the ocean from you? I believe so. I um, invented um, a program called Environmental Warriors Program. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was really a coincidence because I'm really passionate about oceans, saving the environment. And a lot of the students, I showed them pictures of, you know, animals that I've been seeing when I've been diving, snorkeling, or even if I've been in, out, you know, in the bush, so not always ocean animals. And the kids were super interested and they are like, oh, look at this, look at that. And I started to get more and more requests of students that wanted to come and hang out with me at lunchtime. And they are like, oh, Miss Marlin, that's what they call me. They are like, Miss Marlin, can we come to your room and can we talk about animals and then they wanted to have a secret animal club with me. And I was like, oh, it's too much of this. And then um, I decided maybe we should just create a whole program about it. And now we have that program and that's been running at the school for I think nearly 10 years now, and it's called the Environmental Warrior Program. Oh, fantastic. And has it rolled out into other schools? It has in inspired other schools, and I've had a few interviews and emails to inspire other teachers to set it up, but I haven't followed up if it actually started. But it's going well where I am at our school, and I know the students are very passionate about it. 
and the parents. Tell us a little bit more about the environmental warriors. Can I be an environmental warrior too? You can be a special guest environmental warrior if you like. We would love to have you on board. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, every year they can nominate themselves to be environmental warriors. So like you have class captains, sport captains, every class now got two environmental warriors. Uh, they are helping out with the paper recycling. They take the compost out. Uh, we now have a native garden. And every week I do special environmental warrior lessons. But everyone at the school is invited. So even if you don't have a badge, you're welcome to come because it's all about spreading awareness and spreading passion for how we can save the environment and our planet it goes from kindergarten all the way up to sixth class yes that's correct i reckon that should be rolled out in every school in australia i think it would work to be honest because it's important and kids are very passionate about it the behaviors that they learn from this program do you hope that they take it through into their adolescence and then pass it on to their children I hope so. Um, I try as often as I can to also do a newsletter that goes out. This is what we learned about this week. And I have been approached even by parents that are saying, you know, I'm printing your newsletter. I've taken it to work. I put it up on the fridge at work. And we now we got rid of the single-use plastic cups. Um, I bumped into students that are now in high school and they're happy to see me and they are like, guess what? I'm studying environmental science now. It's my favorite subject. And I love, you know, I still learn about animals and their habitats. And, you know, I want to save the orangutans or I want to stop all the plastic in the ocean. So I do know like the passion that you create in the children when they are young, in my experience, they seem to carry it on with them as they're older and they talk to their parents and their friends about it. So it spreads, which is great. I've read that you've been around the world a little bit yes. too. <laughs> Have you got any interesting stories from um, overseas? Um, well, polar bears are officially a marine animal. And I have been up in the Arctic and help out with polar bear research, which is quite interesting, yes. Crikey, that's amazing. And the interesting thing about polar bears, like when you do tracking and you put a tracking collar on them, you can only put the collar on the females because the male's neck is actually bigger than the head. Oh, wow. Did you get to see any polar bears in the wild? Oh, yeah, heaps. Yeah, we put the collars on them. You got to um, get up nice, close and personal. It's very sad. I mean, the ice is melting up in the Arctic. There's a lot of evidence of that, what I've seen anyway. And uh, they are marine animals and they can swim for 10 days in a row. But if there's no ice to rest on, they drown, you know, and uh, it, it, it is, I feel it's a tough environment being up in the Arctic and being a polar bear. I noticed also as well that you've won a lot of environmental awards in the Northern Beaches area. Um, I guess I took the passion from when I was a kid in regards to cleaning up beaches and I had no intention to start a charity, but sometimes life kind of moves you along so when I came to Australia and all through my life, I picked up plastic and I started to pick up uh, plastic on the northern beaches in Sydney because that's where I live. 
And a few people were asking, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And they asked if they could join. And I made a few friends and other people that saw us on the beach. They said, can we join? And I said, yeah. And I wasn't too sure how I could get all these people to join. So I set up a Facebook page yeah. and invited people to come along. And then I was like, hmm, how can I get people to come along? Maybe I need to get them to care. And so I started to write a little blog, social media posts about plastic and why it's important to clean up, why plastic is bad, etc. And I thought that maybe that way more people would care and come along. And um, Northern Beaches Cleanup Crew now, we got 12,000 followers, I think, on Facebook. Some of our posts, they've reached over 50 million people. It sounds insane, but it is true. And uh, we have people that follow us on social media. They have come from Brazil, got off their airplane, and they're like, hey, we want to join our beach cleanup. And it's just about community. It's about being inclusive. It's about being kind. It's about being grateful for any volunteers, any age. We have a lot of little kids. We've got a lot of older people. We've got everyone. So now it kind of feels a bit like a cleanup family because you come and meet up with like-minded people. It doesn't matter if you're from Brazil, Sweden, Australia, wherever. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. You all care about cleaner beaches. So now we have the regular beach cleanup last Sunday of every month. Uh, on Sydney's northern beaches and we swap beach or lagoon every month so we try to spread it around and we have people that come from all different suburbs to come along which is great we love 50 it. million views did you say yes yeah, some, some posts just go absolute nuts and I don't really know why I'm not yeah that's twice the population of Australia yes true <laughs> yeah. wow you must be doing something right yeah maybe and what is the one thing that you reckon makes people care if they know what's going on I would never ever be upset with anyone uh, if they don't know the consequences of their behavior. If anyone is throwing a cigarette butt or throwing the cup around or whatever, uh, yes, it hurts me a little bit when I see it happens, but I wouldn't be upset with them if they haven't understood the consequences of their litter. That's a fair call, but once you know the consequences, watch out, the school teacher is going to be after you. Yeah, with Viking jeans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not getting away from that. Nope. When I look at all your different awards, you're just out there all the time and just people put you up there for the award. Is that what, what happens? You're just always everywhere? Um, I'm not always everywhere, but um, I guess I have been in a few different places and I am very passionate and I do believe that people can see if you're genuinely there for because you are passionate and you care and you spread awareness or if you're just there to kind of tick boxes. So awards, yes, it's great. I'm very grateful that I receive them, but that's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. You're doing it because you love it. Yeah, it's it's. I find it very important. And if I can share my passion and get other people to become passionate, that's what it's all about. And that's why, that way we can make the world a better place, I believe. Totally agree with you. And is there anything in the future that you would like to bring about in the environmental movement? I mean, locally, we have a, an aquatic reserve in Manly called Cabbage Tree Bay, which is a great little dive spot. 
And I'm trying, and I know I have some help, I'm trying to stop boats from anchoring there. That's one of my little projects that I'm working on. And I'm contacting the council, contacting different kind of authorities and see what I can do. So that's just a little thing that I'm passionate about. I've got a few friends that are with me on that one. Why don't you want the boats anchoring in that particular area? They're not allowed to anchor in seagrass because we do have endangered species of sea turtles. Sometimes we do that anyway. Uh, Seagrass move around a bit. There's an active swimming community and a lot of free divers. One of my friends nearly got hit by an anchor. I find the anchoring in that area very unsafe, but also for the welfare of the animals and ripping the seagrass, which happens. I'm not supportive of that. Do you think people with boats understand? Some do, most don't in my experience. It's quite hard to change people's belief systems, isn't it? Yes, yes. You took the Japanese government to court, is that correct? Well, it wasn't me, but I um, used to be a big part of my life was with the ocean conservation uh, group called Sea Shepherd, which has the same founder as a co- one of the co-founders from Greenpeace, uh, Paul Watson. And Sea Shepherd went down to Antarctica for many years to try and stop their legal whaling. And in uh, 2014, the Australian government, together with Sea Shepherd, did take the Japanese government to court, which was quite a big challenge, I believe, because we are a good trading partner with them. And um, yeah, the court case won. We won it in the sense of that the Japanese whaling stopped in Antarctica. They argued that they were doing research, that they have had uh, the same hypothesis for all these years, and they're still doing research with no results. So they got proven wrong in the International Court of Justice in The Hague. So that's something that I'm very proud of to have been part of that movement. Beautiful. And were you on the ships going down there fighting against the Japanese whalers? Yes, I was. You warrior, you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. And did it get pretty messy down there? Like, did you get close to being rammed and things like that? Yeah, we got rammed. I mean, it it is uh, tricky to go down to Antarctica because there's something called AIS, Automatic um, Identification Signal on Ships, And when the Japanese whalers leave port in Japan, they turn it off. So when we look for them in Antarctica, it's equivalent to looking um, for a caravan in the size of America. We can find them by trying to calculate different wind patterns because they can't harpoon whales on windy days and in high swells. Then, of course, we have to be on constant lookout for floating ice called growlers, so we don't hit any ice or damage our ship. The Japanese whalers, they were trying to do some prop fouling on us, which is when they kind of circle our ships with a floating hook and a big wire and try to get that into our propeller to stop our ships. And uh, so we have to try and zigzag around to avoid that. Meanwhile, we have some crew out in a small boat trying to cut that wire so it's a lot of um, cat and mouse game in the, at the end of the world, in a way, because it's down in Antarctica. And yeah, we did get rammed. I think it was 1 a.m. or something, and it was a big bang. But we were fine, and um, yeah, the ship got a bit of a 
dent in it, but uh, no one got injured, which is great. They're also trying to use um, like water cannon on us, etc. when we're out on deck. So, I mean, it is dangerous um, in the sense, but uh, yeah, no one got injured. So we're all good. And I think the, the good side won. Yes. 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 The, <laughs> the whaling got stopped. That's the main that thing. It is. And do you go out to have a look at the whales migrating during the, the winter time? Uh, I used to do uh, volunteer work for Orca, and I've done that um, some years. I didn't do it this year. And that's when you take part of an annual whale counting survey. So they have people all around the East Coast counting whales the same day. And that way they try to estimate how many whales are coming down the East Coast. That's one day a year. And what is ORCA? It's a cetacean and marine mammal organization. They are okay. often working together with marine um, national parks and wildlife. For example, if there's any seals or whales that are um, in danger, or if you have seals coming up on a beach, ORCA volunteers are often around to make sure that people move away, leave the seals alone. If there's any dead whales washed up, Hopefully we don't see many of that. Orca is there to assist as well. But it's always national parks and wildlife that are the main people in charge. But Orca is an organisation that are doing their best to help and works very well together with the national parks and wildlife. Beautiful. And just out of interest, how did the annual whale count go this year? You can sometimes count up to 200 whales in a day. And I know that happened this year as well. Unfortunately, I don't know on top of my head the exact total number that were counted that day. It's uh, different people, different lookout spots the same day all around the East Coast. That's fantastic. And what sea animals do you think are the most in need of our help? I'm super passionate about sharks. I think sharks got such a bad name and a lot of people don't understand how important they are for our oceans if the oceans die you know everything else will down the planet and sharks are the ones that are keeping our oceans healthy they eat the dead fish they eat the old fish they eat the sick fish without sharks the oceans would be sick they're extremely important animals a lot of people are not aware that often when they go having fish and chips, it could be flake or it could be butterfish, and that is actually sharks. And so many people, they're not aware of this. That's right. And what do you think of the shark nets off the beaches there in Sydney and Newcastle? I think it costs a lot of money, you and me taxpayers' money, to keep those nets up. Uh, they've been around since the 1930s, I believe. It's like having a tennis court net in the middle of an ocean. Sharks can swim around these nets easily. Most sharks that actually been caught in these nets been caught between the beach and the net. They have no purpose, and sadly, they are killing a lot of endangered animals every year. If you look at uh, DPI, Department of Primary Industries, that they're called in New South Wales, if you look at their data, and this is their own data, it actually shows that 90% of the animals caught in the nets are not the targeted species. Um, I have done some presentations for different councils in New South Wales, coastal councils. I believe all coastal councils in New South Wales, or at least Sydney area, they voted no to the shark nets. So they have officially represented the people in the community 
brought that to DPI and said, hey, we don't want the shark nets, but it's DPI, Department of Primary Industries, that got the final say and they still got the nets in. So why are, are they still in the water, you think? I mean, the nets are very outdated. Now we have drones. People can swim better. People can read currents better. They can read the water better. They know not to swim at dusk and dawn. Don't swim where there's a river mouth. Don't swim where there's a school of fish, etc. People are more educated Of course, people can be unlucky. Um, You know, you can be unlucky driving a car or walking across the road as well. But I do firmly believe that those nets cost too much money and they have no purpose and they're way more modern ways we can help protect people against sharks. It's a risk going in the water. It's a risk crossing the road. You decide if you want to take it or not. It's a very small percentage of being... Uh, bitten by a shark. You'll get bitten more by a shark in Westfields that hasn't got a fin. <laughs> yes. But I, I, I mean, the statistics that I've read is that it's between 75 and 100 million sharks that are killed every year. And that can be for food. It can also be by mistakes in shark, uh, you know, when they fish for tuna, etc. And then on average, about 10 people around the world are being bitten by sharks. So percentage wise, I feel, you know, more people die from mosquitoes, more people die from snakes, more people die from dog bites every year. But they don't get a bad rap in the newspaper, uh, you know, being called like that they're stalking and murderers and jaws and left, right and centre, what the media are saying, lurking. It, they just got a really bad name. And um, I think majority of people don't understand how important they are for even keeping us alive by keeping the oceans healthy. So would you like to see it to be illegal to fish for sharks in Australia? Absolutely. And one thing that I really want to be illegal that not many people may be aware of, but Australia is a big exporter of shark fins. Okay. And that's one thing that I would love to stop. Why are we exporting shark fins to other countries? I don't think that's appropriate. So I guess what they are doing, um, and when I've been to the fish markets and I've seen, they sell the shark bodies for a fairly cheap price, which I assume would go to fish and chips. And then the fins are more expensive and they get exported. But I think Australia should step up and stop exporting shark fins. I think what the law is, I'd probably be corrected on this, but they're not allowed to defin the sharks on the boat and throw their bodies overboard. Exactly. That's illegal. So they catch the whole shark and then they cut it to pieces and separate the fins from the body once the shark is dead. Yeah. And how do you feel when you go to the fish markets and you see? Well, I have. I think I've been there twice in my life because it's not a place I like to hang out. <laughs> so for me, when I was there last, um, it felt like I was walking around in a morgue. You see so many beautiful um, fish laying there on ice, And I mean, there are a lot of people that love eating fish and I know it's very important for some people, particular island nation countries, they depend on fish maybe for survival. But the feeling personally, the feeling that I get when I walk there, I mean, I don't like it at all. And I also know a lot of those fish that have been caught, they are being um, thrown out at the end of the day or turn into like fish flour, etc., or cat food because they're not even being sold. So there's a lot of deaths that I feel is unnecessary. 
and uh, that kind of makes me a bit sad. No, I used to take students because I used to teach seafood preservation and aquaculture and things like that at TAFE. And I used to take the students down there for the tour because uh, they have a tour at six o'clock in the morning. And it, it just blows your mind at how much stuff actually moves through there. And like you said, big, small, some stuff goes overseas. Actually, all the best stuff goes overseas and the locals are left with the rest. Unusual species you can see sometimes as well. I saw moonfish there once. That was strange, yeah. What do you think people love eating different fish so much? Well, I don't eat fish myself. I completely understand, like I mentioned before, people in island nations and they rely on it for protein and survival and they go out, they catch the fish, they have it for dinner for the family. But the extent that the big trawlers, the big fishing industry, that really makes me upset. And I mean, yes, people probably do love eating different kinds of fish, but if you look in the supermarket, isn't it mainly salmon? Um, I mean, and that is cultivated, I guess, like fish farms. I don't know, barramundi maybe. I don't think they uh, fish from them, but it's certain species that are more popular than others. And I guess the fish farms is pushing salmon to be eaten more, I assume. How do we make people care about the oceans? I believe if you can't make them love the ocean and understand the importance about the ocean, you can't make them care you know, you have to create a love. And once people have the love, that's when they start caring. Yeah, it's important, I believe, that they see the connection between the ocean and us. That's what I feel is part of my role as an educator is why are sharks, for example, if we go back to sharks, why are they important? What purpose have they got? Why do we rely on them? And then when people understand that we need them to keep the oceans healthy and we need them to keep the oceans help, healthy to keep people and life on land healthy, that's when they start to understand that we have to care for them. They are important. That's very true. What is the future for you? I will keep educating about animals, the environment, different kind of issues, not only Ocean. Ocean is a massive part of it, of course, and I'm very passionate about it. It's always been. But also educating about palm oil, about orangutans, different species. It's about a matter of making people feel a love and start caring. And the more they do that, and also making sure that they know what they can do. So I teach in the city and some of these kids, they're like, even if they are in Sydney, some of them may never go to the beach. But if they care and they can see the connection with, hey, if you litter in the middle of the city, the wind will take your rubbish to the ocean and your coffee cup, your straw, your ice cream wrapper, your chocolate wrapper may end up being stuck on a turtle or a turtle may swallow it or it may get stuck on a shark, etc. to see the connection between what they are doing and what's happening in the ocean. And the same thing, if they pick up the litter, even if it's not their own litter, on the playground in the middle of Sydney or on the way to school or on the way to work, whatever age you are, you're like, hey, I've saved animals by doing this. And that's what I feel is very important. It's kind of cool to save animals, but not many people think, hey, it's cool to pick up rubbish. And that's what I'm trying to change because by picking up rubbish, 
you are saving animals. That's exactly right. That's what I do every single day when I'm not doing podcasts. I say to the kids, see this hand has the power to save a whale. It has the power to save a turtle. It has a power to save a dolphin. And everybody wants to save those creatures, even the sharks. And it's just that, like you said, it's that simple. The power is in your hand. Yeah, it's great. Turn around and pick that piece of paper up or rubbish up and put it in the bin. Yes. I often ask my students when they pick up rubbish. So they show me the rubbish and I'm like, so how many pieces have you got? And they're like, I don't know. How many pieces can those pieces break into? They're like millions. And I was like, how many animals do you think you've saved today? Oh, probably about two million. I was like, there you go. <laughs> go home to your mom and dad and say that you saved two million animals today. And, you know, you're not lying. It's true. And they are like so proud of themselves. And that's great. It is. And what is the best piece of advice that you can remember? Uh, that was probably from a friend um when i was a bit confused because i do care about so many different animals not only animals in the sea but also animals on land and i wanted to save them all i wanted to save the polar bears i wanted to save the orangutans i want to save the sharks i want to save the dolphins everything even worms and bees and um i was i wasn't too sure where i was going to start because as we know there are plenty of animals around and he said i don't think it's your job to try and save every animal it's to make sure that people become passionate about saving them. So your role is to educate and, you know, be a guide and make sure that you spread awareness about different species and whatever species different people love, if it's a shark or if it's an earthworm or if it's a bee or some kind of beetle, it doesn't matter as long as you create passion in people about saving species. So that's probably the best advice I received because that's where I feel I am at today. It's about spreading awareness, spreading care, spreading love, spreading stories about animals so people start caring about them. Beautiful. And what would be the best advice that you would give? The best advice I would give to someone would probably be that it's pretty cool to pick up rubbish and by doing that you can save lots of animals. That's to my younger audience, by the way. Was there ever a time that you felt like it was hopeless to try and make people care? I haven't had anyone really that don't care. Once you tell a story, and if you can tell a story from your heart, and I believe as an educator working with young children, I traveled a lot and I got a lot of stories to share. And kids know if you're telling the truth. And if I show them pictures from my own travels, um, my own photos of um, turtles swallowing balloons, my own pictures from orangutans that have been burnt because they are burning the forest because of palm oil, and I ask them and I say, this is what I've seen. Can I show you some more pictures? How can you help me help these animals? And that's often when a lot of creative brains start working together and that little spark has been created. And I love that. Is it going to be the government that makes change or the individuals? Well, the government is the body that can change laws but we need to continue to uh, be at the government's back and say this is what's needed this is what's needed um, I mean right now another issue that we have here locally going back to Carriage Tree Bay and Manly and you, we spoke before about the boating 
that I like to stop. Another thing um, is the cuttlefish, one of my favorite animals, and the giant cuttlefish that come into our local area to breed. And as you may know, they don't live for very long, maybe two, three years. And we have seen less and less of cuttlefish in our local area here. They are protected in Wyala in South Australia. They're not protected locally. And you're allowed to take, if you say so, as a fisherman, take 20 cuttlefish a day. And they're in the same category as squid. I think government are listening, but they may say we need enough evidence about how big is the population, how much has it declined. So if we can get someone who's doing a PhD about the cuttlefish population in Cabestry Bay, that would be great because it's always about collecting evidence, isn't it? People who dive here, we can see there's less and less. And um, it is an aquatic reserve. And sadly, I have seen giant cuttlefish chopped off on people's dinner's plate in the local area on social media. And I don't like it. It's just the way it is. I know I've had a run in with a few fishermen or fishing persons. I've had them throw rocks at me. I've actually found a person when I was out one night, we used to take turns often to walk around and try to stop illegal fishing in Cabbage Tree Bay, the aquatic reserve. And there was one evening where there was a man who had a turtle in an esky. And I asked him, you know, you have to put that back. It's protected species. What are you going to do with it? Oh, no, no, I will take it home and show it to my wife and then I will put it back. And I was like, you're not taking that turtle home in that esky to show your wife. (laughs) You're putting it back now. And he did. But, I mean, it was a bit of a discussion. But those people, I find them very frustrating. They're annoying. I found that um, if you mention money, like you give me money and I won't tell anyone, um, they put it back straight away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it is sad, isn't it? But we, we can only try our best and that's what we are doing. We are a good little gang here that care very much about Cabbage Tree Bay Aquatic Reserve and that's great. But there is... Um, problem with illegal fishing sadly we can see that at night time how can ordinary people help gather evidence you reckon well both me and friends we try to photograph whatever we can illegal anchoring cabbage tree bay um create social media posts when you're diving free diving collecting up uh, collecting plastic if you see any injured animals reach out to different rescue organizations photograph uh, boats that are, you know, doing illegal stuff, report, report again, report again. I have reported, my friends reported so many times with what we feel is enough evidence and reported into DPI, Department of Primary Industries. It's very, very difficult. We feel we have all the evidence. For example, we have a a film of the anchor going down to the seagrass and then we got the boat leaving and it rips the seagrass and we got a picture of the boat with the name on the boat and the time and we sent it into the Department of Primary Industries and they said it wasn't enough evidence. So what I find difficult is how can we get enough evidence if that's not enough evidence? I used to work for the DPI, so I feel your pain. Oh, okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So what role does social media play, you reckon, in saving? Social media, I believe it's good and bad, of course. There's trolls around and there are people that are having a lot of opinions 
that hide themselves behind keyboards. But we have to remember most people on the planet are good, thank God. And they are helping by, for example, for me, social media here, they are helping by sending in pictures what they see. Local people, because of the Northern BTS Cleaner Crew, I get a lot of posts sent to me, but they see it because I can't be everywhere at the same time. So they send it to me, I get it out on social media and they can be anonymous. And if there's any trolls, I, I deal with the trolls so no one else have to do that. Um, it's again, it's about spreading awareness. If you see a turtle entangled by balloon strings, balloon or about to eat a piece of a plastic bag, etc., it needs to go up. We need to go and tell the people that are running businesses, this is what happens with your single-use coffee cup. This is what happens with the balloon that you use to market your event. You know, do you want to be associated with killing endangered species or do you want to be associated with something good? These are some ideas that you can use instead of balloons. You can use this or this or that. Like you can have um, cardboard signs. You can rent... Um, there's some great local businesses you can rent um, reusable cups, plates, etc., uh, to have a party instead of having single use. You return it. There's so many options that you can use instead of a single use. And for me, it's about spreading awareness about more better options for the environment that people can use. Because a lot of people... For example, talking about balloons, they associate celebrations with balloons. If it's a birthday, if it's an opening of an event, etc. And I feel they are not yet there to know everything about alternatives. And that's what I'm trying to help and guide them with as well. And it's all about a little sentence that can be like, you know, is it reusable? Is it single use? Some challenge may be try and go and do a grocery shop and do it without buying any single use plastic. Good luck. But we have we have alternatives, you know. We got the uh, the bulk food shops. They are all around Sydney in different suburbs, you know, where you bring your own containers and you can easily avoid the single use plastic about you know, that we normally have if you go to a big supermarkets and you can buy pasta, you bring your own jar, you can buy rice, you can buy spices, all this kind of stuff. And it's about changing people's habits, but it's also about lobbying or being brave, if that's the right word to use, to contact businesses and asking, hey, can you look at alternatives? That's right. And what you're trying to say to me that, Balloons don't go to heaven. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Because every balloon, once they've reached a certain point up in the air, if we're talking about helium balloons, you know, they burst and they fall down. And the way they burst, they look like um, a jellyfish. And they are a perfect kind of food for a turtle then. But turtles can't vomit and it gets stuck in their bodies. And it's a long uh death for them and they get floating disease they can't dive down to eat and they float on the surface in many cases not all the time of course so then it's a matter of people swimming out diving and pick up an injured turtle and you have to feed 
if you've got a turtle with a balloon or a plastic in the stomach, you have to do special, I think it's paraffin oil mixed with very fatty fish to get it to basically poop out the plastic of a balloon. You're not allowed to drag it out. So you have to wait. It can take up to six months before it comes out if it's very entangled in the body's intestines. Wow. Australia versus Sweden in the environmental issues. I think everyone can do better, but I feel that Sweden is ahead and there's a lot of, Australia don't need to reinvent their wheel. They can look at Sweden or other countries that are doing great things. It's not only Sweden. Little things, um, for example, I don't know if you experienced, but I certainly have seen uh, dumped shopping trolleys, a lot of them even in the ocean. And in Sweden, they have um, like a GPS on every shopping trolley. So the shopping trolley can only move around the shopping center and down to the car park and then the wheels lock. So no one can steal the shopping trolleys and, you know, take them home and dump them in the ocean, etc. That's easy. Or make a reef out of them. Yeah, well, you could you there are other ways you can make reefs. Um, you don't need to steal a shopping trolley to do that if you really want to make a reef. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's fair enough. There's a little project that you you had going called Wild Aware. Yes, I'd love to. Uh, Wild Aware is an environmental blog that I have on Facebook and Instagram. I'm creating posts about different endangered species, about unusual animals that maybe not people know of. Uh, A lot of people are passionate and they may know about dolphins and orangutans because they're really cute. But there's a lot of other animals on the planet that are not that known and also need to be saved. So I'm trying to educate about endangered species and what we can do to save them and highlight more unusual animals as well. That sounds fantastic. What advice can you give people to find your um, Facebook page? Is it just Wild Aware? Yeah, Wild Aware, it's about endangered species, about what we can do to save the planet. Also plants I um, blog about. And if they want to learn about plastic, Northern Beaches Cleanup Crew is the one to follow on Instagram and Facebook. So Northern Beaches Cleanup Crew, even though it sounds very local, which it is, there's lots and lots of educational posts about plastic. So it's a great one to follow as well if you want to learn about plastic and what we can do to make the world a better place without it. If you were going to go back in the past and if you had something to say to the younger Marlon Frick, what would it be? Uh, Don't give up and keep going. Follow your passion. Do what you believe in. Oh, that sounds like advice for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think if you're passionate about something, that's what you're best at. So keep doing. I like listening to lots of different stuff. And I heard a guy say today, it was to do with following your passion. And they said the subconscious mind and the conscious mind are sort of working together. If you keep on following your passion, the subconscious mind will always put out breadcrumbs for the conscious mind to follow. So when you're following your passion, you're following your true path in life. So I thought, wow, that not that interesting that, and this book was written in 1923. So, so yeah, it's not something new. It was something very old. No, I believe in that. I think it was. Yeah, great advice. Have you dived at Manly 
um, with the dive against debris? No, I haven't actually. I, um, I do a lot of dives in Mandy because that's where I live and that's where we have Cabbage Tree Bay, the aquatic reserve. But I, um, whenever I go down diving, I pick up rubbish. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, my friends are doing the same. And sometimes one of my friends, for example, he's got an underwater scooter and he keeps saying, now when we're on the scooter and I we're both on the same scooter, so I'm kind of hanging behind a bit. And it's like, remember, you're not allowed to stop and pick up rubbish. And I'm like, yeah, I promise. But then I do it anyway. <laughs> you find so many weird things. Last time we went on the scooter, I found a car antenna on the bottom of Cabbage Tree Bay. Well, we're going to go down to Manly soon and we're going to be doing the dive against debris. Excellent. We might see you down there soon. Yes, possibly. And what is the weirdest thing that you found under the sea? Um, we have found a dinosaur suit on the beach, which is not in the sea, but it's on the beach. Someone tried to bury an exercise bike in the sand, also on the beach in DY. We found that one. We have found a few um, sad things like um, the blind sharks, which you're probably aware is a species of sharks. They're not blind, but they're called blind sharks. And we found them dead because of um, they being caught in uh, elastics you know, that people often wear when they're swimming and it got stuck on the gills. And we've actually found a few of them and that's really sad. So when you go swimming, make sure that you don't lose your hair elastic because it can kill a shark. I don't have that problem. No, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. It's been a great honour. It's just absolutely amazing the passion that you have for the environment and the change that you are making through teaching the younger generation. Oh, thank you so much for your kind words and thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.